Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, along with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kira Mulvaney, and after a hiatus of a couple of weeks, professional punching returns to Showtime in the form of a Showbox triple header this Friday from Las Vegas, Nevada. Yeah, you know, we had a busy start to the year. There was hardly a weekend without a Showtime fight in January or February. It slowed down for a few weeks in March, but now boxing is back. Also, baseball is back. Kieran is back on the East Coast. Spring has sprung. The Final Four is set. It's all happening. Uh, oh, and uh, and the Russian government is going to let us see the Mueller report. Just kidding. April <laughs> Fools. I got gotcha, you, didn't I? I got gotcha. you. Well, that'll, that's, that's the last we'll hear of Eric. <laughs> Mike suddenly cuts out. <laughs> right. Welcome. Next week, it'll be Showtime Boxing with Alexandrievich and Mulvaney. <laughs> All right. We will, uh, we will preview the uh, upcoming uh, Las Vegas card uh, shortly, possibly the last preview that Eric will ever do. Right. Uh, we'll also be looking at some news from around the boxing world and uh, opening up the mailbag a little bit as well. But first, we had some important boxing action this weekend, as on Saturday, Alexander Vozdik defended his lineal light heavyweight championship, uh, beating Eric's favorite fighter, Dudu Ngumbu, when Ngumbu was forced to retire in the fifth round with an Achilles tendon injury. Uh, so Vojtek has some previous at this. He seems to be quite good at forcing opponents to retire with injuries. He did it to Isaac Chalembra was ah, a couple right. of years back now. Remember that? We were in yeah. Las Vegas for that. Um, but as was the case against Chalemba, he was winning this fight comfortably. The result was going to be the same one way or the other anyway. And Vojtek will certainly be looking for stronger challenges ahead in uh, what's a very interesting light heavyweight division, Eric. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened there with uh, with Ngumbu. Uh, perhaps he stepped in doo-doo. Uh, something to that effect. Mm, anyway, We can only hope that this is Eric's last podcast. <laughs> yeah, going out with a bang. Um it, it it doesn't get much more anticlimactic than than the ending to that fight. You know, it was it was moving along. Yeah, Kvostik was more or less in control, looking fine. He wasn't looking great. Uh, I still say Teddy Atlas has him thinking too much and not fighting on instinct enough. But you know, there was there was really little to draw from the fight in terms of conclusions. And then Ngumbu has the non-contact injury to his calf, and that's it. Uh, there was a, a bit of a hubbub over the ref and the Pennsylvania commissioner, Greg Serb, uh, giving him a minute or two instead of just stopping the fight immediately. And they very clearly did break protocol there. But for the record, I I was fine with the ref calling timeout and giving it a few seconds to figure out what was going on. Like if he just had a cramp and he was going to be ready to go in 15 seconds or something, yeah, I'm cool with with not quite following the letter of the law and, and giving him a few seconds. But beyond that, once... About, you know, 30 seconds had passed and he was clearly hobbled and unable to fight. That should be it. You know, it's, right. it's, it's over. But that was all immaterial. The fight was stopped. Gvozdik wins, makes his first defense of the lineal title. And we as fans just have to hope that we get a chance to find out what he can do against a Kovalev or a Bivol without too many more fights like this first. Yeah. Um, that card from Philly wasn't the only boxing action this weekend. Uh, among the other highlights, undefeated junior lightweight prospect Ryan Kingrai Garcia moved to 18-0 with a two-round stoppage win against overmatched Jose Lopez. 154-pound contender Liam Smith was similarly dominant in stopping Sam Eggington inside five rounds. And on the Smith-Eggington undercard... We got some serious theater of the unexpected, or theater of the absurd, really, as 
Cash Ali bit David Price on the abdomen after they had both fallen to the canvas, earning a disqualification in the fifth round of a fight that was getting kind of interesting. Cash Ali? More like Nash Ali with a G-N. Nash. One of those jokes that works a little better if you're reading it instead of hearing it. Anywho, uh, Kieran, thoughts on the kinky erotic stylings of Cash (laughs) Ali or anything else from the weekend? Well, you know, I actually always wanted David Price to turn out to be a real success in the heavyweight division, mostly because he, had he won the title, he was he had he's a big Liverpool football club fan, and he, the plan was for him to defend the heavyweight championship were he to win it at Anfield, the Liverpool ground. So I was mm. always quietly rooting for him. Uh, alas, it was not to be. He sort of has that. David Price has that combination of great power and tremendous fragility, as the as the commentators yes. were saying. Um, and yeah, it was getting a little bit interesting. Suddenly, he does have this capacity of suddenly hitting the wall, and it looked like he was about to do that um, before. Well, Cash Ali decided to take a bite out of him. So David Price may never be among the great heavyweight champions, but he does now have something in common with Evander Holyfield. So there <laughs> yes. you go. Uh, before we move on, um, we did note last week that because of the scheduling of last week's podcast, uh, we would revisit any of the fights from last weekend that we were unable to review at the time. And uh, there are a couple to look at. Uh, first of all, in Costa Mesa, California, heavyweight Kubrat Pulev dispatched Bogdan Dinu, dropping him three times and stopping him in the seventh. It's a win that does, in theory keep him in the frame for a contest with Tyson Fury down the line, as both are co-promoted by top rank. Uh, Eric, you watched the fight. Uh, from what you saw of Pulev's performance against Dinu, do you think he has the capability to pose any kind of risk to Fury if they do get in the ring together? Sure, I think so. He's an underdog against Fury, but a live dog. Um, you know, when we talk about the tiers at heavyweight, the big three are on their own tier. Pulev might be as good as anyone on the next tier. It's close between him, Dillian White, Luis Ortiz, Alexander Povetkin. And then we don't know yet how Alexander Usyk fits in. Uh, Pulev was overmatched against Vladimir Klitschko a few years ago, but he's still dangerous against Fury. And I was impressed with how he handled adversity against Dinu. He got a really bad cut in the fourth round, uh, indisputably caused by a punch. And he toughed it out and kept coming and got the knockout win. He's fortunate that Fury doesn't fight for about two more months, so the cut will have time to heal. Uh, You know, Fury-Pulev is not a super fight, but like Wilder Brazil and Joshua Miller, it's another solid fight between a Tier 1 heavyweight and a Tier 2 heavyweight while we wait for the Tier 1s to hopefully fight each other. Indeed. Um, And of course, the greater amount of post-fight attention was paid to the fact that Pulev forcibly kissed interviewer Jennifer Ravallo uh, mid-interview after the fight, and, she says, then groped her ringside. Uh, Those actions have earned Pulev a suspension from the California State Athletic Commission, and it seems a lawsuit from Miss Ravallo, spearheaded by Gloria Allred. Uh, And so, obviously, look, we'll keep track of that and see how it unfolds, and it is, of course, possible that Pulev will face further sanction and any talk of a fury fight will be purely theoretical for a while. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is a a touchy subject. No pun intended there. Uh, What Pulev did in kissing her, especially with a camera trained on him, was incredibly dumb and completely inappropriate. And on the other side, there are reasons to be skeptical about Ravallo's motivations when Gloria Allred gets called in. Uh, Just looking at it in terms of what it means for boxing, uh, there's the element that you mentioned that this could screw up uh, a Fury fight for him, possibly. Uh, and on top of that, I hate to say it, but 
if that fight does go ahead, all the attention this is getting probably makes a Fury Pulev fight a little bigger. You know, we know Fury won't shy away from turning the build up into a circus. Uh, so this fight probably gets more mainstream attention now than it would otherwise. I wish that weren't true, but alas. <laughs> It is. Indeed. Uh, anyway, one other fight uh, we missed last week that's worth talking about. Uh, at the MGM Grand National Harbor, just outside Washington, D.C., Sergei Lipinets defeated Lamont Peterson in a brutal slugfest that saw both men dish out and absorb tremendous punishment before Peterson's trainer, Barry Hunter, threw in the towel in the 10th round. Wonderful compassion there from Hunter, a perfectly timed surrender. Uh, until Peterson got hurt and dropped in the 10th, it was pretty evenly contested. About as good a fight as any we've seen in the first three months of the year. And immediately after the bout, Peterson announced his retirement with a record of 35-5-1. The usual disclaimer, it's a boxing retirement. Right. In this case, it was somewhat spur of the moment. He may or may not really be retired. But if he is... Uh, Kieran, thoughts on Lamont Peterson's fine 15-year pro career? Yeah, especially those uh, retirement announcements that are made in the ring before he's even left the ring and gone back to the dressing room. Mm. Um, it's, it, you know, I think Nigel Benn retired like five times in his career that way mm. uh, at the end of every loss. But um, yeah, but look, if it is if it is a retirement, first of all, obviously, the thing about Lamont Peterson, what a great story. Um, you know, he and his brother Anthony living on the streets of Washington, D.C., uh, until Barry Hunter took them under his wing um, and transformed them not only into professional boxers, but especially in the case of Lamont, genuinely quality professional boxers. Uh, Lamont's a guy who always approached the business in the right way, it seemed. Always seemed like a very nice guy. Um, and he struck me as one of those fighters who absolutely extracted the maximum from his ability, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he wasn't wasn't quite at the elite level, uh, although he did get some notable victories. Um, and there was a December night, um, I'm shocked to see he was in 2011, that was one of the very best crowd atmospheres I've experienced ringside in DC when he faced off against Amir Khan. Uh, I still maintain he lost that fight. Uh, there was some home cooking in the judges scoring that night and some mm -hmm. odd refereeing as well. But um, the raucous celebration all night from the crowd in what is a terrific fight city as they cheered on their hometown guy was definitely a night to remember. And I suspect it's probably the, the greatest night in Lamont Peterson's career uh, if it ends now. Yeah, and you know, you just think back on when the Peterson brothers turned pro. Uh, you know, Anthony Peterson was was the puncher of the two, uh, and thus I think people were a little higher on his potential at first. Uh, just like you said, Lamont Peterson got really the max or very close to it out of the talent that he had. Definitely not an underachiever in any uh, in any way. I guess people will say technically you can't be an overachiever. That, that uh, you can only achieve uh, what you can achieve. Uh, but if that's the case, he, he certainly achieved. Uh, and uh, if it's over, was a was a good run, a good career. All right, uh, looking ahead now to this Friday on April 5th, starting at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific, Showbox, the new generation, brings us a triple header from Sam's Town Live in Las Vegas. The A-sides in all three bouts are Mayweather Promotions prospects. You know, there's no disputing who the A-sides are here, who's expected <laughs> to win on paper. But at least two of them are in against solid opponents who should really test them. The one possible exception, Kieran, is in the opener. Yeah, so the featured prospect in that opening 130-pound contest is Andres Savage Cortez. Uh, he's a Las Vegas native. He comes into this contest with a record of 10-0 and 0 with six KOs and describes himself... 
as an aggressive counterpuncher with a style very much like Canelo Alvarez, which is certainly big talk for a young prospect. Um, although I rather suspect they like them confident in the Mayweather gym. <laughs> um, but there's no doubt the kid's got clearly got natural talent. Uh, he faced uh, none other than Teofimo Lopez three times in the amateurs, and he won twice. Hmm. Uh, but it's still early days for him, of course, uh, in the pro ranks. Um, this will be only his second scheduled eight-rounder. But it will be his fifth consecutive outing against an opponent with a winning, winning record. Um, but as we know, of course, sometimes records can be a little bit deceptive. And that might be the case uh, with his opponent, Jamal Dyer, who is 9-1 with five KOs. He is coming off a very good win uh, against previously undefeated Carlos Rodriguez, who's a Ludabella prospect. Uh, Dyer describes himself as a pressure fighter. Uh, says that nobody yet has taken Cortez into deep water and that he's going to be the one to do that. The truth is, though, his fight against Rodriguez was only his second against an opponent with a winning record. Five of the guys he's fought, including three last year, had zero wins uh, and two had just one. Um, so we'll see exactly how good uh, Dyer is. Based on that last outing, it certainly appears that he's no pushover. Um, but Cortez does look like he might be a serious talent, and he may well have too much for him here. Uh, obviously, we shall see. That's that's what we do with showboxes. We see how right. good these prospects are. Um, the co-main, Eric, also featuring a pair of 130-pounders. Uh, what can you tell us about that one? Uh, well, both the co-main and the main event feature undefeated Mayweather Promotions prospects going up against more battle-hardened Filipinos. Uh, the co-main is uh, Xavier Martinez of Sacramento versus John Vincent Moralde of General Santos City in the Philippines. And the man in the corner of Martinez will be very familiar to a lot of fight fans. It's Ray Woods, uh, the adopted father and longtime cornerman of the late Diego Corrales. Mm. It was Woods, you may remember, who, uh, much to his stepson's disgust, stepped onto the ring apron and halted Corrales' fight with Martinez's promoter, Floyd Mayweather, yeah. in what was quite possibly the best performance of Mayweather's career. Uh, that fight was also at 130 pounds, by the way. Um, so big shoes for Martinez to fill as a 130-pounder from Sacramento with Ray Woods in his corner. Um, <laughs> Woods has, uh, has been his coach since Martinez was seven years old, guiding him to an amateur record of approximately, since some of these amateur records are not known uh, for sure, approximately 85-10, and 10, and a pro record to this point of 13-0 and 0 with nine knockouts. Martinez is something of an action fighter. He's stopped his last five opponents. He's already fought five scheduled eight-rounders, although he's only been taken the eight-round distance once, and this is his first scheduled 10-round fight. And he may need to go all 10 of those rounds because the man he's up against has some experience. Uh, John Vincent Moralde is 21-2 and two with 11 knockouts as a pro and reportedly fought an incredible 300 amateur bouts wow. going 270 and 30. He has plenty of pro rounds under his belt, too. He fought back-to-back -back 10-rounders as early as his 11th and 12th fights. And he's been in against decent opposition. He took U.S. Olympian Jamel Herring the distance in a losing effort. He also lost by TKO to Toka Khan Clary. In between was a very good win against previously unbeaten Ismail Muendo. One note about Moraldi, he has tended to start well, but fade over the second half of his fights. And you wonder if that is something that Martinez will aim to exploit.
Indeed. And that brings us to the main event, which is Super Bantamweight action, uh, scheduled for 10 rounds. The A side in the equation for this one is Angelo Leo, who is 16-0 with eight KOs, and like Xavier Martinez, is in his first scheduled 10-rounder. Uh, Leo's mostly a boxer, but he does have occasional pop. And by way of example, go to YouTube and check out his first round body shot KO of Glenn Porras, which he set up beautifully. He was targeting the body early and often with left hooks, and then he just cranked one straight to the liver. as that classic body shot KO with Porras really just simultaneously writhing yet practically paralyzed on the, on the <laughs> canvas and unable to get up. Um, uh, Leo is from Albuquerque. But, of course, being a Mayweather protege, now lives in Las Vegas and works out of the Mayweather gym. Uh, and you can see the kind of advantages that prefers when you look at the level of sparring he's at. He sparred the likes of Nonito Donayar. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> Jesse Magdaleno, Leo Santa Cruz, Tameki Kanada. Uh, that's the kind of work that he feels has him just a couple of wins away from fighting for a world title. But... Sparring is one thing, as we know, and it's a different matter entirely when the gloves are smaller and the headgear is off. So what kind of obstacles to his progress is his opponent, Neil John Tabernau, likely to present, Eric? Uh, well, let's see. Tabernau is uh, 24 years old. He's 17-4 and four with 11 knockouts. And we mentioned earlier how records can be deceptively flattering. Tabernau is an example of how records can be deceptively unbecoming. He, he's better than you'd think when you see those numbers, 17-4. and four. Of his 21 opponents, 13 had winning records, and his defeats have come against opponents with a combined record of 48-2. and two. One of those defeats was especially harsh, as he was deducted a point following an accidental clash of heads and ended up losing a split decision with one card going against him, 114-113. So that point deduction cost him a draw in the fight. Apart from that, he suffered three straight defeats from August 2016 to April 2017, including a points loss to Isaac Dogbay, who would go on to win a major title after that. Uh, but Tabanau is on a four-fight win streak now. He's gone 12 rounds three times, 10 full rounds twice, and he's fought all over the Philippines, Ghana, Russia, Japan, Australia. So he has plenty of experience. Uh, he's an aggressive fighter, and his nickname is Solid Puncher. Because he says, quote, I have a solid punch. Unimpeachable logic. <laughs> Unimpeachable. Yep. It's a great undersell, though. Solid puncher. <laughs> it's like walking around wearing a t-shirt that reads, adequate in bed. <laughs> um, that? Does that t-shirt still fit you, by the way? <laughs> Um, I was deemed uh, not quite worthy of wearing it. Uh, somebody somebody uh, put a, some iron-ons, the word almost, on top, and then I was allowed to wear it. Yeah. Uh, another fun fact about Tabano, in addition to his nickname, early in his career, he and opponent Charlie Pukdal knocked each other down simultaneously in the opening round, but only Tabanau got up off the canvas. It was a real-life Rocky II situation, except it happened in the, in the first round, not the last round. <laughs> right, right. So we haven't done this for a while. It's almost time for us to uh, make picks, which we'll do as we do with Showbox Fights just for the main event. Um, but before we do that, a reminder that you, yes, you, out there in podcast land can pick the winners and put yourself in the frame for some pretty good prizes courtesy of DraftKings. Just go to www.draftkings.com slash showtime if you haven't already signed up and pick the winners of all three of Saturday's card uh, fights on Saturday's cards, plus the nature of the victory, the approximate number of rounds if you're picking stoppages, 
And for a tiebreaker, the total number of punches landed in the main event. Uh, prizes for individual fight cards include $5,000 in winnings, with uh, each of the top five finalists receiving a Showtime boxing prize pack. Uh, additionally, the overall 2019 pick and winner will be awarded a free trip to every 2020 Showtime Championship Boxing event, which is substantially more than either Eric or I are getting for our endeavors. And given that I think I'm a, after the first fight, I'm in 5,970th position. That's <laughs> that's it's unlikely. That situation is unlikely to change. Uh, yeah, but you know, each each card is its own thing. It's it's set. That's to, true. It's a refresh. You get to start fresh here. Um, but yeah, it, it's certainly what they're. And, and us, I shouldn't just say what they're, what we're playing for there uh, on DraftKings uh, is is more than uh, what we're getting for our little head-to-head competition as we're competing against each other for a dollar. Uh, but it'll be the sweetest dollar either of us ever won. Uh, and if I win, and for the record, I'm currently ahead 26 points to 20. If I win, I will take that dollar and put it right back into a DraftKings contest and try to turn it into $1,000. And if I succeed at that, I'll give you your dollar back because that's just nice. the kind of guy I am. Nice. Anyway, um, I am up first with my prediction for the main event of the Showbox card. And I like Leo here. He's a skillful boxer. I like his progression. He's been matched nicely. I think he's ready to, to make a leap. And with all his experience in the gym sparring top guys, I don't see him shrinking against Tabanau. Tabanau has never been stopped. Leo is not a massive puncher. So I'm going with the Captain Obvious prediction here. This feels like a distance fight with Leo winning probably eight or nine out of ten rounds. I'm going Angelo Leo, unanimous decision. Well, the distance between us will not change one way (laughs) or the other. Um, Yeah, this does, like you said, this feels like a distance fight. The combination of Tabanau's experience and solidity and and the fact that, yeah, although Leo does have some pop, he is indeed mostly a a boxer. Uh, Those that stretch of the feet is a little bit of a worry uh, when assessing Tabanau. Yeah, I mean, the combined record of, of the guys who have beaten him is solid, but outside of Dog Bay, there really isn't anyone of note, and you wonder if maybe he's found his level. Uh, but, boy, this is such a good showbox fight. This is such a, a, a... It's a really tough challenge. I mean, it's absolutely the kind of contest that allows us to judge, isn't it, whether a prospect is really ready for that next step. I, I mean, I think if Leo isn't what he clearly believes himself to be and obviously plenty of backers believe him to be mm-hmm. tabano is exactly the kind of opponent to find that out um but if he gets past the guy like tabano with his experience and toughness i think it's a sign that it's le- legitimately worth paying attention to him and i do think he he will beat him uh he may have some tough moments but yes uh once again you've peeked at my notes because i said <laughs> i expect him to wind up a 96 94 97 93 type unanimous decision win Oh, then I didn't peek at your notes at all, because I said he would in, win eight or nine rounds. You have it as six ah. or seven rounds. So it still ends up the same in terms of how many points are available for our predictions. But, right. uh, you know, you'll get a moral victory if it's a little closer than uh, than I see it. Hmm. So there's that. There's that. <laughs> all right. So that's the first Showtime card of April. But they keep on coming after that. Uh, next week, we'll preview the April 13th clash in Atlantic City between Clarissa Shields and Christina Hammer, quite possibly the biggest women's boxing match there's ever been. We will certainly dig deeper into that topic next week. Uh, and it was just announced a couple of days ago that two weeks after that, 
on April 27th, Showtime Championship Boxing will return with a triple header from the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas, headlined by lightweight action between Robert Easter Jr., last seen sharing the ring with and losing his unbeaten record to Mikey Garcia. He's taking on Rancis Barthelemy, a battle of fighters with one loss apiece. Also on the card, Victor Postal, who really seems to have lost his way since being thoroughly outclassed by Terence Crawford, looks to get himself back on track against Francis Mohamed Mamoun in junior welterweight action. And the broadcast begins with heavyweight prospect F.A. Ajagba. And if you're saying to yourself, why do I know that name? He's the big, muscular, scary-looking yeah. fellow who Curtis Harper chose not to fight last year. Uh, Ajagba takes on once-beaten Michael Wallace, not to be confused with the late former 60 Minutes correspondent Mike Wallace. Different guy. Uh, Kieran, any initial thoughts on this triple header? Uh, I like this card, actually. Um, I mean, Easter ha- had such a buzz and such momentum until he ran into Mikey Garcia. And I think it was almost su- it was surprising, I think, the ease with which Garcia dismantled him. Um, and as you mentioned, we haven't seen him since. And it's, it's going to be really interesting to see because a lopsided defeat like that can sometimes really send a young fighter over the cliff. Or, you know, sometimes it can allow them to reset and retool and learn and, and improve. And it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to be the case with Easter. And Bartholomew is not by any means an easy opponent to return against after right. what could be a really confidence-sapping loss. So that's a, a very, very tough bounce-back uh, fight there. And I'm very interested to see what happens there. And uh, similarly, it's hard to recall that it wasn't so very long ago that, that Postol was breaking Lucas Matisse's face and, and looking like a really genuine force, but he's really the example of the direction Easter does not want his career to go in after a loss, right? Because, as you said, since Crawford basically undressed him, he's all but disappeared. He also lost to Josh Taylor in the in the UK. Um, as for FA Ajagba, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to seeing him throw a punch in a fight because um, <laughs> that is the only time I've seen him. Oh, okay. Uh, he, he, so, had a, he had a win... Uh... I want to say two months or so ago, uh, boy, and I'm blanking on the name, Amir Mansour. Uh, but but okay. it's a washed 46-year-old version right. of Amir Mansour. So I did get to see that, and so I have seen him throw some additional punches. Uh, he took care of business quickly there. So uh, I haven't seen too much more than you have. But there is a good buzz about him. So yeah. I am I am quite, uh, quite interested in seeing him there. So uh, another fight was announced uh, uh, after our early recording last week, and it concerns the buzzworthy heavyweight division that we've already touched on quite a bit. So after pulling the plug on a rematch with Deontay Wilder and signing a co-promotional deal with Top Rank and a U.S. broadcast exclusive with ESPN, Tyson Fury will now be taking on, drumroll please, (laughs) Tom Schwartz. Yeah, this has not been very well received, Eric. No, I mean, look, we wanted Fury Wilder 2 or Wilder Joshua. We're not getting those yet. So we found some silver linings in Joshua versus Big Baby Miller and and Wilder versus Dominic Brazil. Tom Schwartz? Uh, he's, he's a big guy. He's young. He's undefeated at 24-0, but he has fought nobody you've heard of. This is Tyson Fury going back to the Francesco Pianetta level after <laughs> stepping it up to the Deontay Wilder level. So it, it's disappointing. I'm not sure what else to say. This just feels completely pointless for, for Tyson Fury. <laughs> and we've seen with Fury that he's at his best in the big fights when he's yes. motivated. Yes. So I'm not sure how motivated he's going to be for Tom Schwartz. So I noticed in your description, Schwartz has one thing in common with us, 
he's big, which is not something we have in common with him. No. He's young, mm-hmm. which is not something either of us. But he's fought nobody of any consequence. So I think that also is something we have in common with him. That's the one thing we do. I mean, you would nobody. There's absolutely nobody on my fight record who you would know. <laughs> um, okay. Like there isn't even a fight record. This is some serious top level analysis of uh, of, of Tom Schwartz. It's a, it's yeah. a wonder that uh, ESPN hasn't uh, lured us away to try to do their boxing podcast. It's, it's amazing. This podcast kind of went off the rails very early and has never really <laughs> quite gotten back on. Yeah, I forget what my first joke was, but you kind of thought that was the low, and then I, I slipped in at least two jokes that were equally bad, if not worse. Now and we then, have now we I have your Schwartz analysis. Yeah. yeah. All right. Should we change the subject? We better have. All right. Um, one last news item to hit here. Uh, this Saturday in Clackamas, Oregon, uh, Stevie Two Pounds Forbes will be in action. That's right. 42-year-old Steve Forbes, former 130-pound titleist who made his debut in 1996 and who hasn't fought for five years and lost his last six fights in a row, is the main event of a card he himself is promoting against one Tavoris Teague. Thoughts, Karen? You know, I was actually a little bit surprised to find out it was only five years ago that Steve Forbes last fought. Um, <laughs> great guy, uh, skilled boxer at his, in his prime, of course. Um, obviously hasn't been a factor for quite some time. Um, as you mentioned, he's promoting the show and he's a new promoter. And I'm guessing one of two things here. Either he got the, you know, the sort of the buzz back while he was putting together fights for other people. Right. Um, and decided he wanted part of it. Or... Uh, he, you know, he's well known in Oregon, so maybe he figured his being on the card would help sell tickets to his show. Maybe it's just a simple decision like that. Um, he certainly doesn't appear to be taking any unnecessary risks. Teague sports a record of six wins, twenty-five losses, and four draws. Um, still, I mean, good luck to Steve, uh, who's one of boxing's good guys. But I do hope you know, this is maybe just a, a one or two off, maybe to get his promotional career going and hope at 42 years old he isn't planning on making this a regular thing yeah i will i will second that uh, that hope um all right let's uh, let's wrap this sucker up with a dip into the mailbag uh but first a reminder that you can submit questions via twitter with the hashtag ask show pod that's a-s-k-s-h-o-p-o-d I have to say this hashtag method is working. Shout out to Showtime's director of podcast, Seth Nyman, for wanting to do it this way. Uh, You and I don't end up with a flooded email inbox. Uh, You just search the hashtag, find a question or two from the past week, and boom, good to go. Uh, So we have one question we want to address this week. But before we get to that, a follow-up on a question from a couple of weeks ago. We were asked about our favorite boxing nicknames of all time. Well, I was listening to the Pauli Malinaji podcast on this uh, same uh, Showtime Boxing Podcast Network. Uh, I was listening to his podcast this week, and he brought up a fighter I'd forgotten about who had maybe the best nickname of modern times. I'm going to put you on the spot here, Kieran. Do you remember the nickname of heavyweight Deverell Williamson? Touch of sleep. Yeah, well done. You got it. Yes. Touch of sleep. That is just a great nickname. Yep. Uh, someone else a few years ago did keep them sleeping oh really which which it almost rhymes and it's kind of cool that one gets more of a good effort um but uh but it lacks the cool of touch of sleep that is just a cool nickname yes a nickname that was much cooler than devaro williamson's career (laughs) yeah i would say so he he had a few moments as a prospect and then kind of sputtered out and then fought chris bird in one of the 
most unwatchable fights yeah. that there has ever been at the top of the heavyweight division. Yeah, yeah. But of course, nothing compares to the new number one boxing nickname, Solid Puncher. <laughs> yep, I like it. <laughs> Going back to the mailbag. Uh, so, with 29 Major League Baseball teams and the Baltimore Orioles uh, getting their seasons <laughs> underway, uh, I hope I pronounced this name right. Uh, Sean P. Stemus, I think, uh, at Sean sure. Stemus30 asks. In honor of opening day, I've always thought Bryce Harper would have made a good boxer, uh, a man whose uh, career you're going to be paying very close attention to, I suspect, Eric, over the next yep, number yep. of years. Already am. By the yep. way, by the way, gotta love Philly fans. The man gets booed after. No, no, fans. don't believe, don't oh, believe oh. everything you read on the internet. He didn't get booed. There were like a couple of people booing. The most of the crowd has been very supportive. Don't, don't buy it. We get a bad rap. One of them. You deserve the bad rap. <laughs> we get an even worse rap than we deserve. <laughs> uh, anyway, Sean continues. Uh, I, maybe it was Santa Claus with booing him. I could see him. <laughs> I could see Bryce Harper being a rough and tumble sporting type, uh, sporting a big left hook. Any other athletes that either of you could see being a good boxer? Um, well, <laughs> now, now this might get me booed out of Philly to even say this, uh, but. I suspect Harper is more fake tough than real tough, at least in terms of the levels required for boxing. Um, you know, I could maybe see him being good, but he also might be a pretty boy who crumbles when you actually right. hit him. So I'm not quite as convinced as Sean that he's a good answer to this question. Uh, but he is good at baseball, and that's what matters. Uh, for this question, um, first, uh, keeping it in Philly. I'm stealing everyone else's answer for the last 20 years. Everyone always said Allen Iverson could have been a great middleweight. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I can definitely see that. Um, other options, obviously, we go to football in search of the great American heavyweight that we missed out on. The just-retired Rob Gronkowski jumps to mind as a really oh, yeah. athletic big man. Uh, or maybe pass rusher Khalil Mack, tremendously athletic at 6'3", 250. I'm sure there's a good hockey fighter, but I don't really follow hockey anymore, so I don't know who it would be, but whoever is currently regarded as the best at pulling the other guy's shirt halfway over his head and pounding the crap out of him would probably be okay at boxing. Um, and here's something a little off the beaten path for finding a boxer. Rafael Nadal. He's, uh, he's 6'1", 185. I assume he could sweat off 10 more pounds uh, and, and be a good light heavyweight. He's certainly tough, trains hard. Strong forearms, very athletic, great footwork, uh, which the footwork from tennis to boxing carries over a bit. Um, so he's my less obvious choice. Uh, I, I like him. Anything uh, anything to add? Maybe some kicky-ball-y guys that I've never heard of, perhaps? <laughs> well, actually, whenever this question comes up, I'm always reminded of what my uh, departed friend Bert Sugar would frequently say. He goes, Kieran, I submit to you that the greatest American heavyweight of our era is Ray Lewis. Mm. And he often maintained that part of the reason why there was that kind of this era of not very many American heavyweights was because all the people with those right uh, attributes actually would much rather earn a lot of money riding the bench or even in the case of Ray Lewis being the starter for mm. an NFL team. But, you know, what? I was thinking about it as well. One guy from the past who I thought, I don't know what his technique would have been like, but he'd have had the intimidation factor down was Albert Bell. Oh, yeah. There you go. I remember, I remember just reading in the old page two on ESPN.com. There was some somebody wrote a column about, you know, what to do when there's a brawl on the baseball field. And like 
had 10 points. And point number eight was just stay away from Albert Bell. Don't ask why. <laughs> just trust me on this. He he was perpetually surly, that Albert Wasn't Bell. Wasn't he? I'm yeah. pretty sure I've never seen a picture of him smiling. No, no, never. So so there you go. There's my two contributions. Actually, on the kicky bally front, though, Wayne Rooney fancies himself a bit of a boxer okay. at times. And I've actually heard of him, even. You actually have heard of him. So yeah. there you go. So there you go. All right. Uh, that will do it. I mean, for this epic edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. My final episode. It was a good one, I think. Possibly also mine. Um, so a reminder to sign up for the DraftKings Showtime Boxing Pick'em Tournament at DraftKings.com slash Showtime. Uh, a reminder also to submit questions to the podcast for our mailbag at hashtag AskShowPod. And be sure to check out episode one of All Access, Shields versus Hammer, available right now on the Showtime Sports YouTube channel and the Showtime Boxing Facebook page. As we mentioned earlier, we will talk about that fight and indeed about that All Access uh, next week. And uh, we'll also look back on this Saturday's Showbox, which, to give you just one more reminder, airs at 10 p.m. Eastern and Pacific this Friday, April 5th. We will perhaps be back next week. <laughs> Until then, thanks for listening.